I am loving the shade of this tree. <laughs> I'm starting to see what Jonah got so riled up about at the end there. Uh, <laughs> good morning, everyone. The question we are faced with today is, are you obedient? Um, as I prepared this message, I struggled a lot with a whole bunch of things, really, but um, first amongst them was how to try and illustrate the themes and the concepts and the conflicts that happen in this passage, because there's a lot there, and trying to distill it down in an immediately graspable way uh, took some doing. And the, the image that kept coming back to me was of a river, a deep, wide river, and a man in a boat going down that river, holding a package that contained some orders that he received. And there's people on the riverbanks shouting at the man, uh, all sorts of different things, saying, you know, hey, the river's dangerous up here, don't go that way, or uh, you look tired, you should come over here and rest on the bank, or, uh, you know, I need to buy your boat, you know, you don't need it, I'll, I'll give you money, you know, or even up to including, get out of the boat or we will kill you. Uh, contradictory things, the good things, bad things, it doesn't matter, the, the one thing that all the voices on the riverbank sharing in common is that they're not what the orders that the man was given say to do. So, uh, if we are this boatman, if if we're in those shoes, with threats to our life, our happiness, our comfort, or it just offers of a better deal come along, the question of whether or not we're obedient to those orders we're given suddenly becomes a little bit murkier than maybe it would have been if we were just going down a river on a nice day enjoying ourselves if there weren't other voices in the mix. And how we respond to that, or if I, if I put myself in those shoes, how I respond to that hinges to some extent on, okay, I've got these orders, I've got these other options. Well, who gave me the orders? Uh, that's, that's where I find myself hinging whether or not I'm going to be obedient to those orders. Uh, so we're reading in the book of Acts, chapter five, we're going through verses 12 through 42, which is an impressive chunk of text, so bear with me. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from town, the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, 
they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council, named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about four hundred, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men, and let them alone. For if this plan, or this undertaking, is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing him. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Uh, let's just pray for a moment. Uh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage. Um, thank you for the events it portrays, the, the things that happened, that your faithful servants stood that day and spoke these words, um, and that, that Luke recorded them, that we might, we might see how to comport ourselves in the face of adversity. Um, God, help us to, to hear your word today and to, to respond to it with our entire hearts. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, like I said, there, there's a lot in that passage, tons of great stuff, powerful imagery, um, but, but the, the narrative flow is pretty straightforward. You've got God answering the prayer for boldness um, that the disciples prayed back at the end of chapter 4. Uh, as requested, God is stretching out to heal with his hand in Jesus' name, um, and powers that be don't like it, and they arrest them. And then an angel sets them free, which is extra fun because Sadducees didn't believe in angels. And, um, 
and then you know they 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 gather up they're very important they get the whole group together everybody probably puts on their biggest most impressive hat and then they go and the jail is empty and the guards are standing there at alert and the doors are locked and it's all quite embarrassing and then they find them teaching in the temple right where they weren't supposed to be and so they rearrest them but gently because at this point the guards aren't sure if they would get um, in more trouble uh, than uh, Peter and the Apostles would if a fight broke out right then and there. And so High Priest interrogates them, they respond, they're really mad they want to kill him, Gamaliel gives them a history lesson, they just flog them instead, send them on their way, they don't stop waiting. So, uh, pretty straightforward. The, the, the crux of this, the turning point, the center of this entire thing, is really in the response that Peter gives and the other apostles affirm right in the middle there. This entire story leads up to that four sentence response and everything that happens after it is the fallout or the effect of that. Uh, so we'll be focusing on those area. The rest, the rest of the narrative factors in and supports that, but that is our central hub. And that's verses 28 through 32, and I'll just, I'll go through those again for emphasis. If I can find it. Uh, but, I'm sorry, 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So, for a moment, um, I, I would encourage you to put yourself in the high priest's shoes. I wouldn't stay there because it's not a nice place to be. But you have these people, and, and how annoying is this? How frustrating is this? You, you literally just told them a chapter ago <laughs> that um, you know they need to knock this off. They need to set this whole Jesus thing aside. It's causing problems. I'm the high priest. I'm important. I'm God's representative here on earth. Why won't you listen? Why won't you obey? Are you obedient? And there's no equivocation. There's no bet hedging in the disciples' response. They're really clear here. They're even terse. You know, earlier Peter gave a, a longer description. This time, there's just four sentences that their response. And they will obey God rather than men. Full stop. And that, that assertion may to some extent feel very self-evident. Well, okay, yes, if God exists, we should probably obey him rather than man. He's larger, he can hit harder. Um, and a why, an explanation to that statement may not on a good day feel necessary. Uh, you know, we should obey God rather than man. The problem is though, that I think we all know that good days are not guaranteed and bad days are probably coming in terms of that. And the dividing line between whether or not we continue in our witness and in our faith may come down at some point to having a why to whether or not we should obey God rather than men. And so the question I raised, at least for myself, was, okay, who gave these orders? The why is in the who. And, I mean, it's this isn't technically a church, but this is a church gathering. We are the church. And so it might seem a little obvious, but the who is Jesus. 
um, to give the game away. And uh, those orders were given immediately before he descended, ascended into heaven, Matthew 28, uh, I think 18 and 19, no, 19 and 20. That's in there. But the Great Commission, if you haven't heard it before, um, this will be new and exciting. If not, it's still fantastic. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, some translations have, obey, all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you until the end of the age. Those are the orders. That's what we got handed. We got handed them by Jesus. So that's the who, Jesus. But if we dig a layer deeper, again, how convincing is it to just say, okay, Jesus said so. Well, who is Jesus? See, what, what's interesting in this passage is that when the apostles are giving their why to the Sanhedrin, they don't launch into a general philosophical discussion of God's character or attributes or powers. They immediately begin talking about Jesus as if that were the why for why they would obey God rather than men. And when we look at who Jesus is, and the apostles bring up how God's behavior towards Jesus indicated who Jesus was, and incidentally how man's behavior towards Jesus indicated who man was, uh, the question of whom we ought to obey becomes a lot less murky. The... Um, main concern is that as we as we go down this river with these orders we have the voices on the riverbank mass they get louder and as the price for disobedience to man gets higher and higher incrementally as needed to stop what we're doing we must focus on the things that will give us power that will answer those questions and the apostles lay out a pretty straightforward roadmap here. Uh, and the final verse is, in a sense, the summation statement. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Christ. Why must we obey God rather than men? Because Jesus is the Christ. And uh, that word, means anointed, Christ, it's not his last name, it means anointed, which isn't terribly useful as far as definition goes, because then you read up anointed, and that just means had oil poured on his head. So <laughs> you get one theological explanation explained with another. Uh, but here in this passage, the apostles make three points about how Jesus is the Christ, or in what way. And the first thing that they bring up is that God raised up Jesus. Uh, that's what they say, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus. And I think as Christians, you know, we hear Jesus, we hear raised in the same sentence, mind immediately goes to the resurrection. Uh, not uh, unfairly or incorrectly most of the time either. And this can have that connotation, but there's a, a second way of looking at that phraseology that runs throughout the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, later on, in fact, in the very book of Acts, in Acts 13, there's a section where the history of Israel is being just sort of summarized real quickly. And 
uh, in chapter 13, they say, Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. Uh, in the book of Judges, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. So this concept of raising isn't just resurrection, although that's certainly a side of it. There's also an emphasis of raising as God appointing someone to a moment in history, God bringing someone onto the stage and saying, this is my answer to this situation. Uh, perhaps the, the best use that uh, I was able to track down of this terminology is actually back in Deuteronomy. And this one is fun. Uh, chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. Uh, Moses is talking. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. God raised up Jesus, the apostles say, and Moses, much, much before that, also told of the prophet that God would raise up like him who God would speak through uh, and of whom God would require from anybody who did not listen to the words that he said. Uh, so we see God raising up Jesus, not just from the dead, although that most certainly happened and is a very good thing, but God has appointed Jesus, God has anointed Jesus, God has raised him up at that pivotal moment in human history uh, when Israel's king, Israel's prophet, Israel's high priest, Israel's God would descend from heaven and forever change the face of human history. Um, so Jesus was raised up for this moment, for this task, God's response to the situation of a fallen world, to sin, to death. And so that is how God responds to Jesus. God raises him up. And that's what the apostles say. And, and in fact, when they speak to the Sanhedrin, they say the God of our fathers raised up Jesus. So they're not just saying, you know, generally. They're talking to the Sanhedrin as fellow Jews, as, as recipients of God's coming promise, um, as, as members of the covenant. And, you know, that's, that was an invitation to respond. That was them saying, you know, this is what we're waiting for. This is what Moses was talking about. Uh, but the Sanhedrin's response was different. Man's response was different. God raises Jesus up, um, and how do they respond? Well, verse 17 explains how the, the Sanhedrin respond. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. God raises up Jesus, man raises up himself in jealousy. Unwilling, uninterested. Would we rather be higher than Jesus? Would we rather take for ourselves 
that position? Will we let man take that position from Jesus in our hearts, in our minds? Um, and, and if you lack the conviction of the Sadducees, you can take the light approach to this. That, that's what Gamaliel did. Uh, you know, maybe Jesus is somebody, maybe he isn't. Let's sit, let's wait, see how it comes out in the wash. Um, wait and see. Uh, were those the orders we were given? Were we asked to wait on the sidelines and see if this whole Jesus thing works out? Are we obedient? The, the second point that the apostles made is that God exalted Jesus. Um, they say he exalted him at his right hand. And having raised him up, the question then becomes, okay, well, to what? To what end? Jesus is here. He's on the scene. What now? Well, God exalts him. God says, you will be a leader, the leader, the savior. You will be at my right hand. You will give Israel repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now, those, that's all one sentence, and it's packed with uh, a lifetime worth of learning and I, I don't want to belabor each and every one of those too much, but, but I asked, who is Jesus? And the apostles say Jesus is the Christ. What does the Christ do? Well, Christ is at the right hand of God, the position of authority, the position of highest honor. What will he do? He will lead us. The, that word leader, it's sometimes translated as prince. Uh, earlier in this New Testament, it's translated as author, when Peter calls Jesus the author of life. It's the first, it's the foremost. It is preeminent. And Savior, the deliverer, the preserver. We dig into that and we see that Jesus is one who offers repentance, the chance to turn from the way we've been going, the, the change of mind, the change of heart, the opportunity to turn our backs on the way we were going and return to the love that created us, the love that breathed life into us at the beginning. And that's possible because he comes with repentance for sins also, that we can have our relationship to God restored, that we can be reconciled to a perfect God because of the Christ, because God has exalted him. And we know that before that happened, man tried to shame him. The apostles, again, they don't, they just speak very plainly on this. You know, Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. The greatest disgrace that you could think of. You know, uh, Deuteronomy says those who die on a tree are under the curse of God. Um, God's plan and God's triumph was to exalt Jesus, and man's response was to shame him by whatever power they possessed. And in that, they have failed, but that does not stop them and will not stop them from trying. And it's interesting because the Sanhedrin knows this. The very first thing they say to the apostles before the apostles show up is, they say, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. You fill Jerusalem with this teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. Well, the apostles didn't need to bring it. It was already there. They... I find it interesting. Um, there's... 
there's what's said in the passage and there's what's not said in the passage and sometimes what's not said speaks louder the Sanhedrin really really tries hard to avoid using Jesus's name and I find that interesting so faced with Jesus's exaltation faced with man's desire to shame that glory away we are faced with the undeniable fact of Christ shed blood and we can look at that as man does and see one more accusation see one more burden um, perhaps avoid it by dispensing with the concept of sin at all or we can stop and recognize that it's actually the one thing that can make us free and so once again are we obedient At the end, they make one final point, and they say, we, we, know, we know that God raised up Jesus, and we know that God exalted Jesus, and we know these things because God testifies to Jesus. We're not left wondering about whether or not these things happen, whether or not these things are true, because God testifies to Jesus. The, the apostles end their, their response by saying, and we're witnesses of these things. We saw it, as is the Holy Spirit, whom God gives to those who obey him. Once again, the theme of obedience coming back. The Holy Spirit is, a, is a, alive and moving in the world. You know, if, if we here who have professed belief, if we have been baptized, we ought to have, and if we haven't, we, we should probably do some, some digging and some praying and some searching. But the Spirit will testify to Christ. We read these words, the words of the apostles that have come down to us. We're the inheritors of their testimony, but we're also the recipients of the Holy Spirit's testimony Jesus. Because God will not let Christ go unconfessed. And as we are obedient, we have that conviction, that support that comes from the Holy Spirit's presence testifying to Christ in us and through us. Uh, and, and Sanhedrin definitely didn't like hearing that. Uh, it was immediately after that that their, their designs were to kill the apostles. They were persuaded down to just brutally flogging them in a public and humiliating manner. But the response of God's witness and testifying to Jesus through his Holy Spirit couldn't be more plain. Man will attempt to punish any attempts to spread this doctrine, this teaching, because it is antithetical to man's view of himself apart from God. And, you know, this executions, public floggings, it can can feel very hard in the modern North American church to identify with that just because it's so completely not our experience. Uh, you know, if we're plugged in, you know, we know those things are happening overseas, our hearts can break over them, but that's still not our day-to-day -day, and it can be very easy to not viscerally identify with that. And I, I, I encourage us all to think on that because I suspect our enemies will use precisely as much force as needed to stop our witness. Um, and the fact that they don't have to kill us to silence us 
may mean that we're just in a great position in history, and it may also mean that a snide word and threats to our employment are all it takes to keep us quiet. Um, you know, we're, we're willing to die for Jesus, but we're probably not willing to risk a lawsuit. <laughs> we're, we're, we're willing to, to suffer in a third world country for the faith, but we won't suffer in a first world country for the faith. Um, so I suppose that would be one thing that I, that I struggled with as I read this, because it's very easy to look at these high stakes and say, oh, the stakes aren't that high here. Well, they are. It's still salvation. The question is, what needs to be leveraged against us to silence us? And historically, they've tried everything and it hasn't worked. And if we are continuing in that noble task we've been giving, nothing should work here also. I've been asking, are we obedient? And to some extent, it's a moot question because the answer is yes, we are obedient. The real question is to who? Are we obedient to God or man? And before we think that's an easy question, we need to recognize that the person looking back at us in the mirror every morning is also a man. And just because we're not bowing to the Sanhedrin or accepting the diktats of a governmental power that says, no, you can't do that, there's a very good chance that there's someone in the mirror saying, I don't want to do that, it would make me uncomfortable, I'm not in the mood now, it's not a good time. Are we obeying God or man when it comes to what steers the boat of our witness? And, you know, the, I, the reason the, the, the boat image kept coming to me is I've been doing a little bit of reading the Bible lately, and there's an image that came to a number of God's prophets. Uh, Ezekiel saw it, Zechariah saw it, uh, Joel saw it, and John saw it. Uh, different, different emphases each time, but invariably, each of these men, vastly different backgrounds, vast years of separation between them, at some point God gave them a vision of a river coming out of the temple, a flow of water coming out of Zion, um, and wherever the river came there was healing, there was life. Um, you know, it's the gospel, it's God's grace. Um, the summation vision and revelations on this river is absolutely amazing and well worth the read. Um, but that, that river won't be stopped. It can't be stopped. It, it will cover the face of the earth, and our opportunity to carry orders down that river, to share that news, to say that hope is coming, that healing is coming, uh, that Jesus is the Christ, is an honor and a blessing, and one well worth enduring any hardship that the illusionary powers of man can muster. And they are. I mean, you see throughout this entire thing, they try to arrest them, an angel lets them go, then sends them right back into it. Not because they, God didn't want them to testify. He did. It's why the angel sent them back, but because man needed to know he wasn't in charge. And they ignored that, but they still weren't. They could beat them, but they weren't in charge. There's no power that man has that can stop this because the institutions and powers of man are insufficient to save. They, they don't bind in the life that is coming. But the words of God do, and it is to those we must be obedient. I am very grateful that being a Christian in America is so easy. Um, and 
it's scary to consider that it might be less so in days to come. But these, these events, these moments, are opportunities to truly search ourselves and our faith and ask if we believe the things that we assemble for on Sundays when it's comfortable and when it's convenient. Um, and faced, faced with all of that, we must return to the basics. We must recognize, as the apostles did, that Jesus is the Christ. And, and from that, I think we can answer to whom we ought to be obedient. Thank you. Um, we're going to go into a time of response now. Um, Michael's going to come up, give us some music, and this is an opportunity for anyone to reflect on God's Word and ask themselves, is there anything I need to do? Is there any way I need to respond? That can be internal, that can be external. But if you haven't yet believed, recognize that obedience to God begins with belief, begins with accepting the substitutionary death of Christ for sin in our place. If you've, have, if you've made that confession of faith, if, if your heart has come back to God, been reconciled to Jesus' sacrifice, um, but your obedience is wavering, now is the time to rededicate yourself to that obedience.